Hello, I'm Samra, and welcome to the How She Ate an Elephant podcast, an audio diary of accountability. Every week, I break down my career, personal development, and life goals into bite-sized pieces and my game plan for achieving them. By broadcasting them to the world, I'm holding myself accountable to my future self, affectionately known as that girl. In exchange for your attention, I share what worked, what didn't, book recommendations, and interviews. Together, we can eat an elephant, one bite at a time. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome back for another episode of the How She Ate an Elephant podcast. I lost my voice a little bit, so excuse the raspiness, even though I kind of like it. And also, I sound great when I'm singing, so karaoke on Thursday, here I come. This raspiness is not going to go to waste. And I just want to say... Thank you to everybody who's been listening and sharing and posting. I think sometimes it's moments like that where I really get to understand or really fully grasp the quality of the people that I have in my life, and I'm just so grateful for that. Thank you for humoring me, letting me talk ad nauseum about podcast topics, and then going ahead and listening to the podcast, even though you know already what it's going to be about. Last week's episode was about just changes to the podcast and how I want to update the way that I think about that girl and how she interacts with the world around her. But this week is going to be the first week where I really have a specific topic and tip that I want to get out there. And it's been popping up in my life since I got back to school or even since before the New Year's. And that is to go to the source of information or get to the source. I just want to share a couple of like specific um, stories that really brought this um, topic to my attention. I mentioned in the last episode that I recently have taken on a leadership role in a student group. And so first semester was just like kind of a shit show for everybody. It was really hard. It was like a lot to get adjusted to, the workload, the kind of work, you know, reading and writing and critically thinking are all things that I was either out of practice or I'd never done before, but it was hard. And so when I first got started with the group, I was kind of like asking the students who already had a lot on their plate the second year is like, well, what's the next thing? When's the next event? When's the next dinner? When's the next thing you guys are doing? Because I really felt like my place as a first year was to like learn from them and follow their lead which you know I guess is like a respectful role a respectful thing to do in hindsight but also I'm here for two years I don't have that much time and like if I don't see something being done it's totally okay to step in but anyway there was one student who I was really directing a lot of my questions to and I felt like there was some resistance like I'd say oh well where is this information coming from or like when is our website going up or blah 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 and then I I I felt like it was almost like resistance to my involvement or like almost like a keeping some of the power and access to themselves and I remember taking it back to my mom and my aunt another one of my like board of aunties who just like spew great advice all the time I was telling them like you know I really feel like I'm being like boxed out of this group that is really a big reason why I came to this school and I just don't know why there's not more information and like these things are not getting done and I feel like this one person is like keeping me from getting as involved as I want 
And my aunt was like, it sounds like you have a lot of ideas and that you want to like take on a leadership role, which is great, but like you then can't depend on other people for your information. Like if something's not getting done, just do it. Don't wonder why someone else isn't able to do it. So I got my life together and it came back um, to class. I came back to school and I started doing things like organizing stuff, putting together PowerPoints. And like not only was the team more than willing to take on my input and like the the energy and like some of the leadership that I was able to provide it's, it's a flat organizational structure but like that initiative that I was bringing to the group and run with it and we're so open and receptive including this person that I had like really kind of not given the benefit of the doubt to and was just like a different personality that I hadn't um really encountered before and like I said in season one if you guys remember a lot of our reactions to other people and a lot of their reactions to us are really not like my reaction to somebody else is really not about them it's really more about me and my insecurities it's very rare that someone is like deliberately doing something bad and I forgot that and made this person like my obstacle when in reality like they're an asset they're a teammate there's so much to learn and that was the first example of like just going to the source of information how do we get a website done I don't know I'm going to figure it out we're going to do that how do we reserve a room for a group? I don't know. We're going to figure it out. How do, what kind of panels are we going to have? Why don't I come up with a list of potential panel topics and then potential speakers and see if people want to react to that? And the response has been great. That was number one. Number two was a social event. Um, there is a ski weekend that a lot of um, graduate stu students go to in the Northeast, specifically for MBA students. And I hadn't really heard about it. Uh, before winter break so like early January I was like "Ooh, like what's that I want to go because it's black students skiing like you know marriage prospects whatever so I like ask a friend of mine who I assume is in the know like oh is it just for MBA students to to go to like you know I just want to get a little bit of information and and this person was just like, oh, well, yeah, I think it is just like MBA students, sorry. So I just dropped it. And a few weeks go by, the ski weekend happens. I see on Instagram, everybody's having fun. And lo and behold, when everybody comes back, I'm checking in with some friends of mine, like, hey, so how was the weekend? Like, it's, there was law students there. There was like all these other degrees. Like, yes, it was mostly MBAs, but there was like black grad students from all types of different institutions present at that weekend. Here I go. I got so mad at the first person. I was like, they were trying to box me out. They didn't want me there. They were trying to be exclusive. I started assigning all these like negative qualities to them and was just like this person doesn't want none of this they don't want any competition well let me you know like they just didn't want it, the whole experience for themselves right well reality is that that person probably was busy or was misinformed because they're a first year graduate student like myself and so instead of going to the source of information I relied on another person who had incomplete information to make my decision and then I turn around and got mad at them for it without them knowing if you're listening and you may or may not know who you are I'm really sorry for even thinking those things but love you seriously all the love um 
But when I think back on those two things, like what do they have in common? Saying that I wanted something, but being unable to like do the follow through and in both cases, I made other people responsible for my decisions and that's something that I really, really don't want to do. The reality is that other people have their own shit to do and it's not fair to make them responsible for your actions, good or bad, even if you really want to. People aren't perfect and they have their biases and when I think back on my life, there are probably entire experiences and relationships that I wasn't able to have because of incomplete information, right? I really don't want that to continue. If I'm going to be that girl and I'm going to have this full life and I want to, you know, really be consciously interacting with my surroundings, I can't let other people dictate by accident or unintentionally my decisions. This can be applied to a lot of different things. Like, you know, when I was applying to graduate school, I was really intimidated by the entire process, but I just ended up this is a good story actually. I ended up reaching out to students who were in the program and finding out like, what are the credentials that you have? Like, what were your stats? Like, what were your GRE scores? What, what was the application process like? And I made myself familiar with the organization and it, made, it kind of brought it down to my level and made it more attainable. And so I think sometimes one of the unintended, uh, unintended consequences of not going directly to the information and putting someone or something as an intermediary between you and them means that they're removed from you, they don't feel real, they don't feel tangible, and you could feel intimidated, and I know that I definitely do. One other thing, and this is kind of like, a, I think an interesting twist on the topic of going to the source, was that I, one of the things about being in this program that I really like is that I'm able to question a lot of the assumptions of, you know, just like society and like why our our communities built the way they are, why are certain decisions? I think getting more of an understanding about sometimes how arbitrary those decisions are, um, are made for us. And so this last weekend, I went to the Harvard Africa Business Conference and I paid out of my own pocket to go to a conference as a grad student. For all of my broke friends out there, you understand how much of a commitment that is. I got my little outfit together, slept well, like got my whole situation together and I went. And it was a beautiful conference. Like there was African fashion. There was just black excellence everywhere. There were really great panelists and discussion topics. And like Harvard Business School is just a beautiful place. I was really happy to be there. But going into the topics, I was kind of disappointed in some of the, the lack of nuance in the conversation. I think that is um, – it's a consequence of like like-minded people flocking to like-minded events. So like if you're interested in Africa and you're interested in business, probably other people who are like you are going to be there. If you're in business school, that's also like a smaller subset of people and, and the kind of interests and, and motivations that they have are going to be kind of similar. So, But coming from urban planning, I was the only one from my program there. I really felt that we have this really great opportunity as Africans in the diaspora to kind of rethink about what urbanization, what development looks like in our home countries and working with our relatives, our, you know, our communities on the continent to really shape a future that's not Western-centric and that looks different. It felt like we were Africans patting ourselves on the back for being interested in Africa and having like 
you know, that exposure and that awareness that there's so much opportunity on the continent. But the way we were talking about that opportunity was kind of exploitative. And so without getting too radical, it just made me think of, I wasn't able to kind of put my finger on the theory of what it was that bothered me about it. But I read this thing in my course that I think hit the nail on the head, but it was after the conference that I finally read it. So that is from the book, Epistemologies of the South, Justice Against Epistemicide. And so that's a mouthful and like it was difficult to read, but it really questions our ability to create knowledge and the different types of knowledge that we acknowledge. Growing up in this world, that in a post-colonial world, especially those of us who are in the Western world, like there are language around economy and government and society and community are all built on the foundations of capitalism and like whether you like it or dislike it that is the language that we're using and so sometimes um, one of my classmates said today and I thought it was so amazing is that our imagination is kind of atrophied about what could be so what does that mean I think like the most practical example I can think of is like when you're a kid and you're given like a spoon we as an adult know it's a spoon, but a child is like, is this a spoon or is it a shovel or is it like an eye patch or is it like a butt scratcher? It could be anything. And when you get older, you know it's a spoon and so you stop thinking of other uses for that tool. And I think that when it comes to development, when it comes to business, when it comes to developing world, we only think about society at like the societies we're living in. And I thought that the conference could have been more nuanced in that. And I just feel like this quote perfectly exemplifies that. It's from page one of the book, Epistemologies of the South. And it says, a critical theory is premised upon the idea that there's no way of knowing the world better than by anticipating a better world. Such anticipation provides both the intellectual instruments to unmask the institutionalized harmful lies that sustain and legitimize social injustice and the political impulse to struggle against them. So what this is saying is like if you the only way of knowing your world better is by anticipating change and like contributing to that change so like if i have the way that i understand this is like if i have a car and i want to make a better car in order to make a better car i have to understand how our car functions right i have to be aware of all the mecha mechanisms within that car and that will give me the tools to make changes and i think that sometimes and specifically at this conference there was no attention brought to the mechanisms of development and finances and more about like what can be more about like going back to my car analogy like what you can do with a car like how you can drive how fast you can drive how you can rearrange the seats how you can get people to buy cars but less about how the car is made do I even need a car and I was just hoping to get some more of that I think that these spaces are super important. This is Harvard Africa's business conference is the biggest business conference outside of the continent and does such a great service. But I hope that in future years they include that nuance of the discussion. Like, what is it that we're trying to achieve? If we say that we want to reduce poverty through electrification, let's actually go back to the assumption that electrification and building electric electrical infrastructure reduces poverty. I'm not saying that it doesn't. I'm just saying that we have a chance here to start from scratch and really imagine a different type of world. And so, but just to ring it on back, 
going to the source is also like finding out for yourself and not taking things at face value. So is it going to the registrar's office to find out really when the ad drop deadline is and not asking your friend? Is it calling the Maryland hotline for voter registration instead of asking your mom about how to register to vote? Or is it like hearing about a concept and then understanding what it means and like Googling it, looking at the encyclopedia, figuring out where it originated so that you can decide whether you agree with it. So like understanding capitalism, understanding the structures on which it was founded, and then making a decision about whether you want to opt in or not. To be really honest, in the U.S., you probably can't opt out without like a lot of personal sacrifices, but that was the example that came up. And now on to the riddle. Ten months ago, I put out an episode of this podcast with a riddle. So before I give the answer, I'm just going to tell it one more time. Imagine you have six balls. They are of all the same color and size and weight, except for one is like negligibly lighter. So it's like, imagine they're all five pounds and then one is like 4.95, right? You have six balls. One is slightly smaller, but it's so negligible that you can't feel it with your hand. The only thing you have to use is a scale. And I'm not talking about a digital scale, but like the scales of justice. (laughs) That is not numerical, but they have like two different plates on both sides. And I'm going to include a link with images to the riddle and the answer after this. So you can kind of imagine what I'm talking about. But you can only use the scale twice. How do you arrange the balls on the scale to determine which one is the lighter one? Pause here and deliberate. The answer to this one is there's multiple one is if you put two balls on one side two balls on the other and hold two balls in your hand if the scales on both sides if it's evenly balanced then you know that all four of those balls are equal in size and then you put the remaining two balls one on each scale and then if one is slightly lighter which it will be that's the lighter ball and you've just figured it out another way to do this would have been to put three balls on one side, three balls on the other. If one is slightly lighter, you you get rid of you get rid of the heavier balls and then now that like the side that was lighter, you take the three balls, you hold one and you put two on the scales. If the two on the scales are even, the one you're holding is lighter. If one is lighter on the scales, then the one that is lighter on the scales obviously is the one that that is lighter. <laughs> okay. Now if we up the ante, you can have nine balls and if the, you have nine balls but again only two uses of the scale. So how do you get this done? When I first heard this riddle, I solved the six balls problem the second way. So putting three and three. And if you do it that way, you kind of mess yourself up because you start thinking about cutting nine in half, and then you're like four balls and then five balls. But the right way to do this is to go back to the first method, which is to put three balls on one side, three balls on the other, and three balls in your hand. Using the same method, if the two scales are even, all six of those you know are the same, and then you take the three that you had in your hand and arrange them, one ball on one scale, one on the other, and one in your hand. If the scales are even, you know the one in your hand is lighter, and if they're um, not, you can clearly see which one is the light ball. So that is the riddle. I hope that it was worth the 11 or 10 months that you waited for the answer. I love brain teasers like this. If you have any that you just love, 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 share them with me because I I do want to put more out there in this media whatever segment that I should probably name. But yeah, 
So next week, we're going to start sharing more riddles or like current events or like other random things from class that I find interesting and like really still need to mull over. So thank you again for listening. Uh, I hope that this episode was useful to you. I've been talking for a really long time now, so please get on and go back with your day, but not before subscribing and liking and sharing and all that stuff. All right. Talk to you soon.